Our reading tonight is taken from Luke chapter 5, verse 27 to 39. So starting at verse 27. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but those who are ill. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. They said to him, John's disciples often fast and pray, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours go on eating and drinking. Jesus answered, Can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. In those days they will fast. He told them this parable, No one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch an old one. Otherwise, they will have torn the new garment, and the patch from the new will not match the old. And no one pours new new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. And no one after drinking old wine wants wants the new, for they say, the old is better. Thank you, Gillian, very much, and let's pray together as we come to God's Word now. Father, we pray that you would speak to us. Would you touch our minds and our hearts? And Lord, as we hear you, we pray it might change our lives tonight for the sake of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Well, a number of years ago, um, Anna and I and the children stayed uh, the night with some friends who lived just outside Reading. It was on a Friday night. And then Saturday morning, um, Graham, our friend, said, um, uh, would you like to come with me to come and get some bread? Uh, Maybe a couple of the kids would like to come as well. So uh, I said, yeah, why not? And uh, he opened his garage and drove out in a brand new, two days old Ferrari. Now, I've never been in a Ferrari before. I've never been in a Ferrari since. Um, it, was, it was quite nice. It was quite nice. It was all right. And, um, and then we, um, uh, on the way to the bread shop, Graham uh, pulled over and he said, uh, I just want to see what it's like naught to a hundred. And, I, uh, and you know, it was a dead straight road, no driveways, no turnings and so on. I said, well, if you must. I've got two of my children in the back, but, you know, if we must, yeah, okay. And uh, that was quite nice, too. That was okay. And, uh, and I say the car did look great. We stopped outside the bread shop and heads turned and so on. And, um, and it smelt like a new car, much like a, a Skoda does when it's new. You know, any new car, they all smell the same, don't they? And so it was all very nice. I, I, thought, I think, frankly, it's a bit overrated. Um, when we got home, I looked up the price, £180,000 for a new one. Graham said he got it cheap. <laughs> How much cheaper than that, I don't know. But uh, anyway, it was quite nice, but I've never been in a Ferrari since. Now, look, when you become, when you become a Christian, 
It's rather like going from a Skoda to driving a brand new Ferrari. Or you could say it's a bit like going from one of those old little, or maybe watching something on your laptop and then going to a a, a 65-inch QLED, whatever they are, uh, television, uh, which is just extraordinary, 4K or 5K or whatever they are now, uh, and everything's just so much better. Everything's just so much better. Well, this evening, we're thinking about this. It's all new now. It's all new now. Luke chapter 5 and verses 27 to 39. And we're going to see what it's like to follow Jesus, what it's really like to follow Jesus. If you're a Christian, it's all new now. And if you're thinking, well, this Christianity stuff, what is all this about? Well, it's about something which will make the whole of life all new now. And that's tremendous. That is wonderful news. That's why Christianity talks about the gospel, which is literally means good news. You can't get any better news than for life to be all new now. Now, so have a look at verse 27 here. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting in his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And in verse 28, and Levi got up, left everything and followed him. Now, what is it like to follow Jesus? What should we expect as we follow Jesus? Well, at the beginning of Luke's Gospel, as you started writing it, we saw that uh, Luke is writing to this guy called Theophilus. And that means a lover of God, or a God-fearer, perhaps might be a better way of putting it. Um, And he was writing to Theophilus, and I would say people like Theophilus, who'd heard about Jesus, wanting to explain to him the truth, the, uh, so he can be sure about the things that he'd heard. So we can be sure from this evening's passage what it's like to follow Jesus, what it's like to be in this relationship where everything is all new now. So what is it like to follow Jesus? Well, first, there's a new life. Then the second thing I want to talk about is the fact there's a new lifestyle to go with that new life. And then the third thing is that there's a new religion to go with that new life. So let's look at the first one, the first one of those now, a new life. And there we're looking at verses 27 to 32. But verses 27, 28 again. Uh, Jesus, follow me, Jesus said to him, to Levi. And Levi got up, left everything and followed him. Now, we're talking here about a tax collector. And um, the Romans were occupying a country. And each area was assessed for the amount of tax that the Romans would require from that particular area. And then they would, uh, if you like, put it out to a franchise. And people would make bids about how much they would, they would give to the Romans of the, of the amount of tax that had to be collected. Um, and then they would do a poll tax, so uh, an individual have to pay. Then there would, if there was a port, there would be port duties that they would collect. There would be uh, uh, customs and excise. There would be duties and tolls on roads and footpaths and so on. There was even the cart tax. You got taxed by the wheel on your cart. A good idea to have a three-wheeler, I would have thought, and so on. And uh, uh, the tax collector, um, they could charge what they like, and then once they got up to the amount that the Romans wanted, they kept the rest. And they were universally hated by everyone. Tax collectors were rich vermin. 
tax collectors were people who, would, who had been excommunicated from the synagogue. Tax collectors were people who would, could not, were not allowed to be witnesses in court. Because not only would you uh, be uh, sort of morally in the gutter to apply for this job, you would then get a bunch of henchmen and enforcers to, uh, uh, to, to make sure that the taxes were collected, and you would try to get as much as you possibly could, and they were just universally hated. Not just for working for the enemy, but for actually uh, extortion and for greed and so on. All those things that we, we just uh, gives us a sour taste in the mouth. And this uh, man, Jesus, turned to this tax collector called Levi and he called him to follow him and he turned him from Levi into Matthew, from a tax collector into a bloke who wrote Matthew's gospel it's all new now, now when it says there in verse 27 um, uh, Jesus saw this tax collector by the name of Levi uh, sitting in his tax booth, maybe it would have been somewhere like at a road junction, A23 A27, he'd have his tax booth there, that kind of thing, and uh, Jesus looked at him, and the word literally means he's kind of looking him up and down, he's assessing him, he's looking into his heart and his mind and his soul and Jesus knew all about him Jesus as, as the Lord incarnate knew all about this guy. He knew his heart, he knew his history, he knew the extortion, he knew the dishonesty, he knew the protection racket he he was running. And Jesus says, follow me, follow me. And, And it says there, in verse 28, he started a whole new life. Just like that. It's extraordinary, isn't it? And that whole new life, as you can see there on the screen, is a break with the past. It's a break with the past. Look, Levi got up, verse 28, left everything. And that would have been a lot. He left everything immediately and followed Jesus. And now that left everything, that little phrase that he left everything, that's a one-off, decisive, leaving it all behind. And for a guy like Levi, this was an extraordinary thing because once you've left that and decided that and broken with that, you're not going to go back to it. And then it says he left everything and followed him. He followed Jesus and the word in the original for this followed is an ongoing, it's a lifetime thing, okay? So he left everything, a one-off, decisive, leaving that behind, saying that's not for me anymore. And he started following Jesus for the rest of his life. That was an extraordinary thing. He started again. Just those two words that Jesus spoke to him, And Levi reacted by getting up, leaving everything, and then following Jesus. It changed everything. There's a guy called J.C. Ryle, who was a bishop of Liverpool, and uh, he wrote this in one of the books that he wrote. It is a far more important event than being married or coming of age. He's talking about getting converted, starting to follow Jesus. A far more important event than being married or coming of age or being made a nobleman. You can tell this was a little while ago. um, uh, Or receiving a great fortune. It is the birth of an immortal soul. It is the rescue of a sinner from hell. It is a passage from death to life. It is being made a king and priest forevermore. It is being provided for, both in time and eternity. It is adoption into the noblest and riches of all families, the family of God. Now, Jesus gets some flack from the uh, religious 
prose and verses 29 and 30. More about them later on. But note how this little section ends in verse 31. Jesus answered them, this is after the flag, it's not the healthy you need a doctor, but those who are ill. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus is saying there, I'm a doctor. I'm a doctor. And who goes to a doctor? I phoned up the doctor on um, Friday, and then they, oh, I got an appointment, the doctor c- called me, because uh, just at the moment, you know I came off my mountain, you might not, but I came off my mountain bike about five years ago, and uh, smashed up my shoulder somewhat, and uh, just at the moment, when I wake up in the morning, my, my arm is kind of hanging down, I can't put a kettle on in the morning with my right arm, it doesn't really work, so it's, it's okay now though, so, so, but uh, in the morning it's not great. Um, I wouldn't be going to the doctor, unless I was going to get a flu jab, or a, 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 we, we trust, um, a coronavirus jab in due course, um, unless there was something wrong. And Jesus says, I'm the doctor. Jesus says, it's not the healthy who needs a doctor, but the sick. In other words, those who recognize that there's something wrong. And Jesus says, I've come to call sinners to repentance, not the righteous. In other words, not those who think they're okay, But I've come to call those who know they're not okay. I've come to call those who know that they're sinners. Old-fashioned phrase, old-fashioned word. But actually, people who know there's something wrong with our hearts. People who know that we do stuff which is a rebellion against God. So how about you? you? Are you on the side of those who think they're okay? Or are you on the side of those who know that we're sinners? You know that we fall way, way short of God's standards for us. Do you think you're God's gift for mankind? Or God's gift to your school? That you're so much better than anyone else? You think you're pretty nice, really? You're doing okay? You're doing God a favour by being on his side? Or are you one of those who knows that actually we fall way, way short and we desperately need God in our lives to forgive us to come into our lives and to live in and through us. Jesus says, I've not come to call the righteous, those who think they're okay, but I've come to call sinners, those who recognize their need, to repentance. And which side are you on? The righteous who think they're okay or the sinners who know they're not? You are the one or the other. And if we're going to follow Jesus, the starting point is to recognize that we're not okay. And we need his help. And we need the life that he gives, both for now and for eternity. And when we have that life, it's all new now. So that's the first thing. Jesus is here to offer, not those who think they're okay, but those who know they're not, a new life, a whole new life, so that we can say, wow, when we start believing and following Jesus, it's all new now. But more than that, it's not just a new life, it's also a new lifestyle. And we're going to focus there on verses uh, 33 to 35. Now I wonder, when um, Ben asks you to text in just your answer to the question, uh, how would you describe Christianity in one word? I wonder if your word was generally a positive word 
or maybe a negative word. If you'd asked me before I was a Christian to answer that, I'd have probably said dull, boring, irrelevant, sleepy, um, uh, and so on. Uh, Tedious. But actually, you see here in this little passage that what Jesus is calling people to is anything but dull, boring, tedious. It's much more the positive side. It's entirely the positive side that he is calling us to. Now, there are Pharisees and teachers of the law having this debate, this argument with Jesus. The Pharisees were a kind of sect. They saw themselves as very, very serious people who were very, very keen to keep the Jewish nation holy. You've got to keep the rules. It means that um, uh, you don't mix. You don't eat. You don't go to a feast in a tax collector's house, or eat with other sinners. And so they couldn't cope with this whole idea that Levi was holding a great banquet for Jesus in his house. So you see in verse 29, it talks about eating with sinners is a sin, they had been saying. And the Pharisees were very keen on fasting. They made a big thing about their religion. In fact, the Pharisees fasted every Monday and every Thursday, and they liked people to know. So sometimes they'd even do things like, uh, like, like chalk out their faces to make them look gaunt and haggard, you know, because they haven't eaten for a long time and so on. And, uh, and, and that's what they wanted to do, to show people how holy they were. And then they, they fasted and, and so on on other religious occasions as well. John the Baptist and his disciples, well, uh, uh, he was very religious. His disciples fasted. The Pharisees and their disciples, they're very religious and they fasted. We see all that in verse 33. But they're saying, Jesus, you don't. And your disciples don't fast either. Are you serious? Are you serious about being holy, being a man of God? Um, And the Pharisees were basically saying, look, the religious life should be solemn and serious, and joyless, because we're, we're very, very, very involved and committed to this, and this is, a, this is a very serious business, and Christianity, effectively they're saying, it should be gloomy and boring. And for them, life with God was doing the things you don't want to do, and not doing the things you do want to do. And fun at all. And yet Jesus is saying, well, it's okay to feast and to drink wine and to have fun. In fact, Christian people, Jesus is is giving the idea that Christian people should be the happiest people on earth. And the second fruit of the Spirit. First is love, joy. And this is an example here. Jesus is talking about this whole area that if you're a Christian, you've got a lifestyle which is enormously positive and joyful. It's not a bind. It's not a burden. It's not, oh, I suppose I better go to church, or, oh, I suppose I better go and be nice to someone today. No, it's a joy to do it. Christian people should be people who uh, will naturally be, uh, be smiling. We're free. We're forgiven. We're happy. Because... We're Christian people. We have a Lord. We're, we have a purpose in life now. And we're heading for glory after this life. And that means that there is actually there's a break with this past lifestyle. Okay, so we've got a new lifestyle. It also means there's a break with the past lifestyle. That's because the saving faith here 
is seen in that change of lifestyle and change of attitudes. It means there's a, there's a growth in, in joy and fun and laughter and smiles and a whole new approach to life. So it means, for instance, when we're allowed back in the building in any number, um, that actually when, when you come in, and we trust it will be on Sunday week, but when we come in, there's lots of smiles. And laughter. And it's good fun to see people. You might be able to see the smile behind the masks. But actually, uh, that is what Christianity is about. Because we're joyful people. Because Jesus has given us an eternal life. A whole new life. A new life and a new lifestyle. And for Levi, for instance, he suddenly got immensely generous. So there's a great banquet for Jesus here. A great banquet. And it's thrilling, it's thrilling, isn't it? When you see people become Christians and their life changes, their lifestyle changes. So uh, they become happy people, loving people, joyful people, peaceful people, generous people, kind people. And if you're not a Christian and you become a Christian, you will change. You will be changed as God works his work in your heart and in your life. Your lifestyle will change. As you start following Jesus, it's all new now. A new life and a new lifestyle. The First World War ended 11th hour, 11th day of the 11th month in 1918, didn't it? And after the armistice, a guy called uh, Dr. Uh, Donald Gray Barnhouse visited the city of Mons in Belgium. That had been the, uh, a place where there had been a, a great uh, Allied retreat in the early part of the war and a great German retreat in the latter part of the war. And uh, for miles west of the city, the roads were just littered with uh, abandoned Equipment, trucks and tanks for the latter part of the war from both the, uh, the Allied and the German sides, the detritus of war. And it was the, it was the next spring, it was the spring of, of uh, 1919. And the sun was shining, there wasn't a breath of wind, and yet leaves were gently falling. And one of them just got lodged on uh, uh, Donald Gray Barnhouse's uniform. They were coming down from the trees that were were uh, overarching the road. The leaves were coming down. And uh, um, he picked up the leaf that got lodged on his uniform. And as he picked it up, it just disintegrated. It was dried out. This wasn't an autumn leaf fall. It was spring. And then he saw and he realized um, that the sap was beginning to run again. The new growth was there. The new life was beginning to be seen. As it did, it was expelling the old leaves that were still on the tree. And every bit of deadness was going, and it was being replaced with life. And Jesus gives us new life. New life. When we follow him. A whole new and better quality of life, which expels gradually the old dead life. And in this new life, we celebrate. It's positive. It's wonderful. The Bible's, Bible's actually a love story, isn't it? A love story of God 
creating a people for himself whom he loves. And the Bible pictures Jesus as a bridegroom and his people, the church, as the bride. And it's a, uh, which is wonderful when uh, you see a, a marriage and, and uh, that the, the bride and the groom are a picture of Jesus and his church. And Jesus on earth is a, is a, is a foretaste, a foretaste of that wonderful, wonderful eternity that his people will spend with him. That's why, for instance, in verse 34 here, Jesus answered, can you make the friends of the bridegroom, that's me, he's saying, can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from him. In those days they will fast. As Jesus died, then that is a time for being sad, he's saying. But actually, the results of that are that we will spend all eternity with him. And for that, we do smile. For that, we do celebrate. There will come a time when Jesus and the bridegroom is taken to the cross. But beyond that, we see the glorious wonders of eternity that he won for us. The new life that starts now and goes on forever. And a new lifestyle now that goes with that. And then also, 36 to 38, a new religion. And that means also a break with the past religion. A new religion. Here, uh, Jesus gives a couple of pictures. So he says, first, look, um, if you're mending um, an old piece of clothing, no one tears out a bit from new cloth, sews it into the, uh, to the old, because when you wash it, the new cloth will shrink, uh, it will tear away from the old, pa- uh, from the old uh, piece of clothing, uh, and it wouldn't, be, it wouldn't be no good. Um, then the same idea, but a, di- a different... A picture of wineskins, and this is in verse 37, 38. Now, they would often use in, in Jesus' day goatskins to hold wine. And uh, when you put fresh grape juice into a wineskin, it ferments, it expands, and new wineskins expand with it. But if you put new wine into old wineskins, they've already stretched, and then they rupture. So you muck up the wineskin, And then you also lose the wine. So what's Jesus saying here? He's saying you can't mix the old and the new. He's saying you can't mix um, Old Testament and Judaism with New Testament Christianity. That the whole of the Bible is a Christian book. The Old Testament is, is hugely important for Christians. But what he's saying here is this is new. I've come for those who know they need me. And I've come to give you a new life and a new lifestyle and a new way of expressing it. That's what religion is, is expressing your love for God. Christianity is new wine. And in verse 39, no one after drinking the old wine wants the new, for they say, um, uh, for they say the old is better. No, no one says that. Of course they don't. The new wine is demonstrably better than the old. Christianity is demonstrably better than any religion that came before it, or since, for that matter. And so he's talking here about a break with past religion. It's all new now. We're starting again. We're starting a new religion to express this new life. It's called Christianity. Or it came to be called Christianity in, uh, in the book of Acts. And the old religion is obsolete. 
My sister's uh, first car was a Ford Anglia. She called it Grotty, and Grotty it was. Um, and, uh, and if you've ever seen a Ford Anglia, occasionally you see them on the London to Brighton uh, car run and so on, don't you? Um, uh, they're obvious, obviously obsolete. Um, now, it doesn't have to be a Ferrari, but these days, all cars are so much better than the old Ford Anglia. So, we won't go back to old ways. We won't go back in terms of our religion thinking that we can atone for our own sins. Because Jesus has done that for us. We won't be thinking we need some kind of intermediary between us and God, a priest. Because Jesus is our priest. We won't be thinking that uh, we need to keep every last bit of the law of God in order to be acceptable to God because there was one person who did that. His name was Jesus and then he died a perfect death for us so that we could be acceptable to God. And that's why in our services, for instance, we always want to focus on Jesus, not on ourselves. We want to celebrate his sacrifice as he died for us once for all never to be repeated and when we meet together uh, when you're at home perhaps on your own reading the bible tomorrow morning it's uh, it should be a joyful celebration as we remember all he's done for us so how can we make our services more like that it's a bit more difficult online isn't it and uh, uh, or when we're being socially distanced or when we're wearing masks and so on But uh, is this joyful? How can we make this more joyful? You know, in due course, we will be back. We will be singing. We will be all together in the building. Don't know quite when, but it is going to happen at some point. And how can we ensure that that is going to be as good as it can be? You You know when you eat something and it's absolutely fabulous, like a fillet steak, followed by uh, raspberries and fresh double cream. Absolutely wonderful. And you kind of savour it, don't you? You kind of swill it round your mouth and you think, oh, that is just tremendous. You delight in it. Well, that's what church should be like. It should be uh, the, uh, the weekly delighting together in the presence of God in a very special way as we meet together and together joyfully uh, we delight in all that he's done for us. We delight in him in his very nature, and in his very person. How can we do that more? Well, we're not going back to the old religion. We're not going back to the old life. In Levi, Matthew's case, uh, his life of dishonesty, extortion, threats, and all the rest of it, um, for you, the old life may but well be very different. Perhaps a life of greedy ambition, perhaps a life of gossip and jealousy and frustration and so on. But we're not going back to that. Because we have a new life, a new life of following Jesus, a new lifestyle. We want to be a life which is positive, which is fun, which is really enjoyable, which is joyful, that's full of smiles and laughter as we recognise what God has done for us, what we could never do for ourselves. He's forgiven us and we have a new life and we're heading for heaven. And what could be better than that? Really, what could be better than that? And we've seen that how a new religion in a new way expressing our joy at the new life and this new lifestyle that God has given to us in Jesus. It's all new now.
It's all new now. A new life, a new lifestyle, and a new way of expressing that and living that. It's a new religion as well. And that is wonderful, wonderful news. Something to smile about for the rest of our lives. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we rejoice in all that you have given to us. We rejoice that when we follow you, you give us a new life and a new lifestyle to go with that and a new way of engaging with you, a new religion, which is a religion of smiles and joy and laughter and hope and being positive. And we pray, Lord, you'd help us to appreciate these things. We pray, Lord, you'd help us to work out how best we can do these things especially when we properly get back together again. And we pray, Lord, that in our own individual lives and in our life together as your people, that we may reflect the joy that you've given to us and which is ours for all eternity. For your name's sake. Amen.